Good morning to you. Perhaps you heard the story of the incarcerated mobster whose elderly mother wrote to him in prison. Dear Vinny, I don't think I'm going to be able to make my special pasta sauce this year as I'm no longer able to dig up the garden for my tomatoes. I so wish you were here to help. Love, Mama. About a week later, Mama got a letter from her gangster son on prison stationery. Dear Ma, whatever you do, don't dig up the garden. That's where I buried the bodies. Love, Vinny. And so uh, the next day, a team of FBI agents and state police came and they excavated the entire garden and didn't find a single body and they profusely apologized to the old woman for the inconvenience. About a, two weeks thereafter on prison stationery came another letter, this time again from Vinny. Dear Ma, go ahead and plant your tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love, Vinny. Some people know how to get things done. No matter the obstacle, they find a way. Nehemiah, in 52 days, gets the people of God energized, organized, galvanized until the work of God was finalized, leaving their detractors immobilized. Turn with me in the Word of God to Nehemiah 2.9. Nehemiah 2.9 on page 504 of the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. Nehemiah 2.9, page 504. And we are going to survey, we're going to continue the journey over these three Sundays, we're in the middle Sunday, of nine practical principles for kingdom accomplishers, people who get things done for the Lord in their lifetime. As you turn in the Word of the Lord, let's turn to the Lord of that Word and ask Him to bless us in our time together today. Lord Jesus, we invite You as Lord of this church to send forth Your truth, to send forth Your light, to send forth Your Word, that Your Spirit would take Your Word this morning, that You would sear into our hearts and indelibly etch into our minds kingdom principles that we can utilize to be effective and productive servants. Would You make us kingdom accomplishers? Ultimately, anything of value must come from You. Apart from You, we can do nothing. And so we ask, Lord, that we would take these truths and we would begin to walk in these truths. And that we would make an impact in our generation for Jesus because You have prepared in advance for us to do a good work, Ephesians said. We don't have to invent things to do. We just have to listen to You because You are building an unshakable kingdom and You invite us to participate. And we thank You for that, Lord. Help us to participate more effectively as a result of our time in this text over these three Sundays. We ask this in Your name. Amen. So the Word of God says in Nehemiah 2, starting at verse 9. Nehemiah 2, beginning at verse 9. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. And now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. And then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which 
I rode. <clears throat> I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went into the fountain gate and into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and I inspected the wall and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God and that He had put upon me for good and also of the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we His servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Alright, that's our text. Now last week, if you missed it, you can go online, you can hear what you missed, but let's just review the main points. Last week we saw that kingdom accomplishers must be willing to work under official sanction. And Nehemiah had the backing of God and the king. Number two, kingdom accomplishers understand there will be multiple layers of opposition. We see them in our text today. There's Sanballat the Horonite, the governor of Samaria. There's uh, Tobiah the Ammonite, who's probably the governor of the eastern Ammonites. And then you have the southern folks that are under Geshem the Arab. There's already opposition to the work of God. Wherever God's at work, Satan's at work. That's the way it is. And number three, Kingdom accomplishers understand the need to work with discretion. Nehemiah went out at night, only took a trusted few, didn't tell everybody what he was going to do until he was ready. He knew what God wanted him to do, and he was figuring out, so how do I implement it, Lord? Okay, so today we're going to delve into the nuts and bolts of how we get those things done. Uh, points 1 to 3 deal with our disposition. Points 4, 5, and 6 deal with our action. These are the action points today. And so step one to get things done is point four on your outlines. Kingdom accomplishers start with investigation. They start with investigation. After a multi-month trip and a mandate from the high king of heaven and the low king of Persia, what does Nehemiah first do when he rocks up in the holy city of God? Well, verse 11 says, So I went to Jerusalem and I was there for three days. For three days, Nehemiah cools his heels. He rests from the arduous, arduous overland journey. He surveys the scene. And he begins to size up who is trustworthy and who isn't in his initial observation. He does not launch immediately into his main action that God has brought upon him because it would immediately provoke opposition. And he doesn't know who's friend and foe. And so he's trying to figure out who's who in the zoo before he begins what he's about to do. So then after lying low for three days, we come to verse 12. And the Bible says, Then I arose when? 
In the night, you're getting so much better at participation. I'm happy. Gold star. All right. So then I arose in the night, and he took a, a few men with him. Not a bunch, and he did it at night. And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me except for the one in which I was riding. Notice he doesn't say it's a horse. We'll talk about that, just an animal. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring, to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but I couldn't take my animal. It was such a mess that the animal couldn't stand amidst the rubble. It was a complete catastrophe. There was no room for the animal that was under my feet to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and I expected the other wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate. So he does a thorough survey of most of what's still standing. Some of it's not standing at all. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Now friends, Nehemiah achieved what others only dreamed. In part because he investigated the scope of the task thoroughly. What is really needed to make this happen? And he went out at night, not to arouse suspicion, but he personally went out, didn't he? Nehemiah made sure he got a sufficient survey of the situation. How bad really was it? How bad were the walls? Well, he found that the walls were just uh, heaps of boulders and the gates were just burnt out, smoked ashes and timbers. By the time he got to the fountain gate, a critical gate, he couldn't even ride on the animal he was on because that eastern side was now utterly unnavigable by the utter rubble before him. And so, he went out, and the Bible does not say he went out on the royal cavalry that he came into the city on. It just says that he was on an animal. Probably not a horse. Perhaps a more sure-footed and soft-sounding donkey because it would be easier to be stealthy. He took with him, the Bible says, just a very few men, probably a couple of trusted locals who knew the way around and what needed to be done, and, and presumably one or two trusted folks from back in Persia that he already knew he could trust with his life and his mission from God. All right? One commentator noted, quote, it is worth noting that God sent the Jews a leader from the outside. Nehemiah came to the community with a new perspective on the problems and a new vision for the work. Too often in some churches, this commentator writes, new members have a hard time breaking into the system because the veterans are afraid of the new ideas that might lead for change. But change was what was needed. Too long had God's glory been exchanged for dysfunction, dereliction, and degradation. And so fresh eyes saw the scene as it really was and what really needed doing. All right? So many months ago, if you remember from the other text, uh, his brother's retinue that came to Persia reported that a remnant lived in reproach because the walls were in ruins. You remember that faithful cup of tea, right? All right. So Nehemiah now is in the situation, and with his own eyes, he verifies what he heard through those spies. He sees it for himself. He walked the walls. He took stock of the great gate that now lie in great heat. Nehemiah saw that the slopes were in shambles, and the fountain gate where the water would be drawn up from the Kidron Valley. Very important gate because it is from that fountain gate that the, the laver of cleansing and the king's pool and all those aquifer kind of things that they need to do the, the business of the temple. Well, they're in rubble. 
This is the very place. Hezekiah's tunnel was where one day Jesus will heal a blind man. But right now, it's an impassable mess that you can't even get an animal across. Friends, kingdom accomplishers must understand that before you can tackle a problem, you've got to understand the problem. All right? So Proverbs 18.13 warns, if one gives answer before he hears, it is to his folly and shame. So you've got to get your facts right so you can get your acts right. Effective solutions come from accurate computations. And so it's always right to measure twice so you only have to cut once or else you ruin the wood. All right. It's always wise to look before you leap lest you hit the shallows and suffer permanent paralysis from your failure to do appropriate analysis. Correct? Too many would-be leaders are ready, fire, aim. Ready, fire, aim. They get all excited before they get all the facts and they begin to act. Nehemiah needed to survey the scope of the task so he could break it into bite-sized bits. He needed to know how much it would cost and how much stone he would need to quarry and carry and how long that would take to make it happen. You see, kingdom accomplishers count the cost. Now, kingdom failures, they tend to run ahead before they have a sufficient understanding of what they never end up completing. Jesus told us in Luke 14, friends, which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Friends, kingdom accomplishers know what they're getting into. They get intimate with the issue God has called them to tackle. They surround themselves with trustworthy advisors. Nehemiah took a very trusted inner ring with him who also saw the same set of challenges that he saw, though the rest of God's people as of yet did not see them. And instead of sitting back, instead of being taken aback, instead of saying, oh, it can't be done, this group looked for solutions, not excuses. And that's another big difference between kingdom accomplishers and kingdom failures. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so that night, a plan was forged to rebuild what lay in ruin to roll off the reproach of the Babylonian captivity and to bring God's house back to vitality. Now Warren Wearsby is a man who was used of God to, to motivate and educate legions of Christians. And he had this to say about Nehemiah's night walk surveying the scene. I'm going to quote him because it's good. Quote, Leaders are often awake when others are asleep and working when others are resting. Nehemiah didn't want the enemy to know what he was doing, and so he investigated the ruins by night. And by keeping his counsel to himself, Nehemiah prevented Tobiah's friends from getting information they could pass along to Sanballat. A wise leader knows when to plan, when to speak, and when to work. End quote. 
This kingdom accomplisher did not live in some ivory tower dream world, but rather he saw firsthand the fallen foundations and burned out gates. And yet, his trust was in the Lord. He, he trusted that the Lord was greater than the Leviathan laid out before him. Which brings us to our second action principle today, and it's point five on your outlines today. Kingdom accomplishers possess a clear sense of mission. Kingdom accomplishers possess a clear sense of God-given mission. Hey friend, let me ask you a question. What prompted Nehemiah to work when others slept? What motivated this man to leave the comforts of the capital and ride 850 miles over an arduous overland journey? What prompted Nehemiah to boldly ask the king, though it might cost him his position, possessions, and even his life, for a special dispensation that the walls of God's city might rise again? Answer, a clear sense of mission from God. A clear sense of mission from God. Kingdom accomplishers know what God has asked them to do. Kingdom accomplishers are not in search of a mission. They already possess their marching orders. They are not looking for a cause. They are looking for opportunities to advance the God-given cause laid on their heart. They know what God has called them to tackle. I want you to listen to verse 12 again as Nehemiah tells us what moved his feet when others have sounded retreat. Verse 12, And then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. What God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew what God had put in his heart to do in his generation for the work of God. Friends, I want to tell you the most important consideration in choosing who leads this church or any Christian organization is not primarily gifting, but gifting is important. The most important thing is calling. The most important thing is calling from the living God. Uh, the most important factor, if, if, if you're wrestling with God, is, should, is God sending me into ministry? It's not your, someone's urging. It's not what grandma wants or your dad wants or the people at church want. That The most important thing to decider about going into ministry is it God calling you to ministry. I once painfully watched a man slowly destroy a once vibrant church. And one day I asked this man about his call to that ministry and ministry in general. I did it gently. <laughs> He didn't know exactly what was happening, and what he said always stuck with me. Oh, I never had a call. I earnestly desired the greater gift. God never called him to that church, so he never could help that church. That church doesn't exist anymore. That's not a call from God. That's a call from personal ambition and self-direction. Friends, no one can lead what God has not asked them to lead. We can try every trick, every tip, every technique in the world, and we cannot dynamically lead God's people unless God has called us to leadership over those people. That's just a fact. If God isn't in it, we can't do it. But if God has so burdened you, it will burn in your bones as it did to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah puts his God-given call to preach in proper biblical perspective. 
He says, if I say, I will not preach, I will not mention Him, I will not speak any more of the name of the Lord. There in my heart, as it were, was a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary of holding it in, and indeed, I cannot. Friends, there is a fire in my bones to preach the Word of God. It's what gets me up every morning, and in half of the year, it's what gets me up before the sun comes up. Because I feel a burning passion to share the Word of God with this generation. Friends, Jesus had this kind of burden. In Luke 12, 49, Jesus, burning with passion to His holy God-given mission, says this in Luke 12, 49, I came to cast fire on the earth. It would that it would already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you rather division. Jesus was about to set the world on fire. And He longed for it to be kindled for the Lord's glory. He was willing to face down distress. He was willing to face down death itself. And He would not rest until God's name and God's fame were blessed. Jesus knew that this God-given mission would divide It would separate those who were for God from those who were for themselves and their own agendas. It it would separate sheep from goats. It would separate shepherds from wolves. It would separate professors or possessors of the faith from mere professors of the faith. It would separate true friends from pretend friends. He understood this very clearly. I want you to notice that kingdom accomplishers don't waver or the work will falter. God is not asking Marvin Milktoast to lead in the kingdom of God. He is not asking someone who is a weather vane who bends when the political winds feel convenient to stand for God. Kingdom accomplishers call the people of God off the benches and into the trenches. They mobilize God's army. They don't entertain like a showman at a sideshow at the circus for peanuts. They fill their hearts with Scripture. They don't fill the seats with conjecture. They pray that... that, that, So I want you to pray with me. Pray that God would use this church to raise up many leaders with a burning in their bones to make Christ known. Would you pray that? Would you pray that regularly? That God would use this church to raise up many Christians and many Christian leaders who have a burning in their bones to make Christ known. Like Jeremiah had... And like Jesus had. Now, pray that God would, would, from our ranks, send out numerous effective servants. He'd raise up pastors and missionaries and other Christian luminaries and lay people. And the great light would penetrate great night and truth would set the captives free. Amen? Would you join me in praying for that regularly? Write that down. Think about that. Pray about that. Now, did you know you're not a leader unless you have followers? Did you know you're not a leader unless you have followers? You might think you're a leader because you have an opinion. Perhaps even a strong and well-developed opinion. But definitionally, you're not a leader unless you have followers. All right. And that brings us to point six today. Point six today. Kingdom accomplishers effectively communicate and inculcate that mission amongst God's people. Kingdom accomplishers effectively communicate and inculcate that God-given mission amongst the people of God. That's what makes you a kingdom accomplisher, friend. 
Look at verse 17 again. Verse 17. And then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem. There's the invitation. Get on mission with God. Get off the benches and into the trenches. Do what God is calling us to do that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them that the hand of my God had been upon me for good. And also the words that the king had spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now let's review how God's man moved God's people to do God's work. How in 52 days, the people of God accomplished what 50,000 returnees left undone for 95 years. And the first answer is, Nehemiah didn't sugarcoat the problem, did he? He, he didn't make it sound better than it really was. He said in verse 17, I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. This was no sugar stick leader with a candy-coated sermon. We live in an age when we'd rather be told a sweet lie than a bitter truth. We, we flock to hear ear ticklers, but what we need desperately are truth tellers. Friends, there is nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. In the Old Testament, God moved the prophet Ezekiel to warn the people against those who sweetly say what God has never said. In Ezekiel, it says this, Therefore, says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore behold, I am against you declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of My people, nor enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord God precisely because they have misled My people, saying peace when there is no peace, and because when the people built a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. And when it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus, when I send my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash, and I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. Now, we can listen to those who say comforting lies. Or we can listen to those who confront us with hard truth. Uh, one will save us from calamity. The other will pacify us as we slide towards the calamity. Like an orchestra street, sweetly playing while the Titanic takes on too much water. Listen to the music, not the water that's sloshing at your feet. That's what they say. Well, what was true in the Old Testament is true in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul warns us, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For... Are all, you are all children of light, children of the day, but are not of the night or of this darkness. 
So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we have belonging to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope for salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words, just as you are doing. Friends, kingdom accomplishers encourage us to rise up and tackle the work, not shrink back and pretend there is no work. Verse 17 again, Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruin with its gates burnt? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Nehemiah did not sugarcoat the truth, and he did not let that harsh truth keep them from heartfelt trust in the living God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. For with man these things are impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. For God, the Lord's arm is never too short to save. And no project that God desires is impossible for His people to obediently see God fulfill. Verse 17 again, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words the king had spoken to me. The most important thing, the most important thing that we need to know is not can we do it. That's not important at all. The most important thing we need to know is is God in it? That is the question for the people of God. Can the Israelites defeat Pharaoh's army and plunder their oppressors, though they are slaves and not warriors? No, they cannot do that as slaves. That is ludicrous. But as children of the king. God did it, didn't He? But they had to obey Him in His way of how they would do it. The victory was done not by their archers wearing armor, but it was done in faith between a Red Sea and a Pharaoh seeing red. And God stepped in. Hebrews 11 tells us by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptian, who attempted to do the same, were drowned. So it is for Joshua, at Jericho. The Bible says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And so it was for David when he faced down Goliath. You see, friends, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's what God's people do. David looked at that imposing figure. The figure that made Saul and all of Israel quiver in their armor and this simple shepherd boy saw a God that was greater than the Goliath snarling before him. And so David famously said in 1 Samuel 7.45, You come against me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, And what more shall I say? 
For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, edged, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put enemy armies to flight. Now one thing I've learned in, in 20 years of leading God's people, and 20 years of, of studying how God led His people, is you must tell people what God is doing in a situation. How He is leading in this situation. Don't ask people, trust me or trust us. Show them how God is leading. How Scripture is guiding. How the Spirit is moving in this particular situation. Kingdom achievers achieve because God is in it. Because God is leading it. And when people see God in it, you know what happens? They give God the glory. Not the leader. Not the people. Not the organization. Not the church. When people see God is in it, they give God the glory. I want you to notice in verse 18, Nehemiah told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words the king had spoken to me. And that's why they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. He told them how God was in it. And the people of God got busy doing it. A good leader galvanizes people, as Jesus said, to put their hand to the plow and not look back. Listen again to the end of verse 18. Starting in 17, I came to them. You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Now listen to verse 18. And I told them the hand of my God that was upon me for good, and the words of the king had spoken to me, and that's why they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Joshua knew how to do this. While his father's generation perished in the desert, Joshua called the people of God back to renewed faith and faithfulness, didn't he? It's not because he had great examples. He had terrible examples. It's because he was willing to follow when others weren't. Choose for yourselves this day, Joshua tells us, whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah knew how to do this. In 1 Kings 18, he stared down the 850 false prophets of Baal and Asherah that the corrupted king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel had sent. And the apathetic people of God sat on the sidelines to watch the show. One man for God, 850 liars for Satan. And here's what the Bible says in 1 Kings 18, verse 37. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that You, O Lord, are God, and that You have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Friends, this day whom will you serve? Will you answer God's call to come together, to work together, to sacrifice together our own agendas for the greater good and God's greater glory in our neighborhood? Let's be the kind of people that individually say, here I am, Lord, send me. Isaiah 6. Want to try that again? Here I am, Lord, 
Let's be the kind of church that's a lighthouse and not an outhouse. Let's be the kind of church that magnifies the Lord Jesus and not ourselves. A church where our neighbors know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I find it thrilling and exhilarating to be in Old Testament texts that people sometimes pass by because they're full of hard-to-pronounce names and places we can't identify in a map without special tools. And yet, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's nothing new under the sun, and everything You've given us in the past is useful for teaching us and serving as an example, the Scriptures say. And so, Lord, may the examples we've been seeing in Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah fortify us that we might go out and move off the benches and into the trenches, that we might walk together and work together and mutually sacrifice, that we might take up our cross and follow You daily. You're not an ornament to add to the shelf of our own personal satisfaction. You are the living God for whom we ought to fall to our knees in fear and admonition and humbly say, here I am, Lord, send me. And I don't know where You intend to send us, but I pray that You'd send us. I pray that You'd raise up pastors and missionaries and Christian workers. I pray, Lord, that You would raise up Bible teachers and Sunday school leaders and, and small group leaders. I pray, Lord, that You'd bring up children's workers and, and youth workers. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would give us an embarrassing riches of elders that we would have so much, so often, so many that we would be able to send out in other parts of the kingdom. Here in, in North Jersey and, and over into other states and across the world if need be, Lord. May You make us a church that's a lighthouse, not an outhouse. May it be a church that is run by Jesus and not us. May it be a church where you get great glory and not us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.